You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Fresh Air uh, Sports Hub show. I'm Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. As we speak today, it is the January transfer window deadline day, usually the most overhyped day on the footballing calendar. Uh, it's been predictably quiet, uh, but we'll be keeping a close eye to see if there's any updates that we can uh, give live, as it were, um, for when this goes out on uh, Tuesday evening. We've also got a, a two rounds, actually, of Premier League uh, fixtures to review. Uh, midweek last week, and obviously games just gone at the weekend. And the more fixtures rolling on over the next few days as well. Two more rounds of fixtures midweek and weekend again. So plenty of Premier League to talk about. Uh, transfer window obviously ongoing. We'll have a l- another uh, couple of little snippets of uh, other sports that have been going on for the last week. So it's not entirely uh, football football based. Um, I think in terms of, obviously, it's going to be a big one in terms of Premier League, four rounds of fixtures to talk about. Um, I think there's only one place we can start, really, um, which was last last midweek, last Wednesday evening, I believe it was. Uh, Manchester United falling to defeat against Sheffield United. Let's start there. I think that will, that will lead us in quite nicely to uh, lots of other matches. Um, now, I would just like to start this with a caveat of saying that last week I did say, and I quote, because I went back and checked, because I'm sure I said this, that there was no other result that could possibly surprise me in the league this season. Um, I did say I thought literally anyone could beat anyone. And, uh, you know, I stood by that. I wasn't surprised to see Sheffield United win at Old Trafford, quite frankly. Um, for me, it seemed like... A, a result for that, like that for United, was kind of overdue for a couple of months, kind of slipping behind so frequently. Um, I don't know what you felt like that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting it uh, at all, but I think United's performances have been, you know, you've been in good form, but there's been aspects of your game which have been lacking and perhaps, you know, sort of going behind and coming back and, you know, some individual moments of brilliance from Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes have slightly papered over the cracks and maybe this was a case of uh, coming down, being brought down to earth slightly. Um, yeah, but take nothing away from Sheffield United. I think they played well and also what a brilliant, a hugely important win it could turn out to be or maybe not because they're probably going down anyway, but you know. Well, um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll move on Sheffield United because obviously full of praise for them. It was a brilliant performance. Uh, I do feel in terms of in terms of Manchester United though, I mean you can't win every week. It's gonna you're gonna suffer the odd defeat occasionally. Um I think it was what we did see in that game was something that perhaps I'm surprised we haven't seen before from United, and that because they fall behind so often and always manage to turn it around. I think last week was when we finally saw kind of the complacency kick in of oh, we've fallen behind, but we'll win anyway, because that's just what we do. Um I think that was the first time they just kind of assumed they were going to win a game without really having to, you know, put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. I think they they just sort of run out of options. I mean, to lose uh, to lose to Sheffield United, who are bottom of the league and have been for what the entirety of the season, as you say, it's it's inevitable that you drop points here and there. But I think losing at home, and I know you haven't been great at Old Trafford, but 
it's a pretty bad result. And I think when you when we were watching the game, you can you can see perhaps why. I mean, there was there was very little for United. I mean, there are a few chances here and there, but all right. So if we do turn now to to Sheffield United, because it's only right to to give them the credit they deserve, not just well on uh, United uh, fall into a defeat. Um, I just I think it's nice to see them. I mean, it might be slightly cliche, uh, and you probably expect them as well to do so, but they're not accepting their fate. Like we've seen the likes of Huddersfield, Aston Villa, Sunderland just kind of go mm. out like kind of a damp squib. Um, but they're not. They, they are, you know, they, you know, they they, they keep plugging away. Um, I'm not sure they've done much in the transfer market in terms of to strengthen, uh, which may come back to bite them. But I just I feel like in terms of that, it must be difficult to attract players in their position. I mean, you're trying to if you're trying to get players in from abroad, you can offer them maybe six months of Premier League football before they get relegated. Or I just I think it it must be a difficult sell to try and strengthen this month. Absolutely, I think we saw it in the summer. Even Sheffield United aren't really a, a team to spend a lot of money. I know they signed Rudin Brewster for. You know the best part of twenty-five million pounds, which is just laughable, really, considering he hasn't really played and and well, a great deal for Liverpool. But it's not, yeah. I think maybe beforehand, any club in the Premier League can can offer the the glamour of English football and top flight. But I think at the moment it's slightly different. I think also moves because of COVID are slightly more complicated, and the fact that Sheffield United are at the bottom of the league, it's not necessarily the most attractive type of move because, you know, it's they're sort of fighting for their lives. So, you know, who who's going to go there on loan? Um, yeah, I, I don't see it. I, I don't think Sheffield United are the sort of club to go out and try and, you know, solve it in the transfer market midway through yeah. the season. I think they made it quite clear in the summer that they were sticking to what they had, um, like the same team with a few additions that, uh, that did so well in the championship and did really well last season. So, you know, I think they sort of probably accept their fate somewhat, albeit still fighting and and you know going out with their heads held high. I've got to say, if if they can kick on, obviously they they slipped to defeat against Man City at the weekend, which is is not at all surprising. But if they can get a couple of results going, I fancy them. I would have to say probably over Fulham and West Brom at least to uh, to try and get a good run going. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see them. It's difficult. It's still unlikely, obviously. They haven't been terrible. Um, They've been quite unlucky in a lot of their games. And if you look at the underlying metrics, a lot they've been sort of, you know, underperforming in terms of expected goals. And, you know, we've seen against the likes of City and United in the bigger games, they compete quite well. Uh, I don't sort of know what exactly it's down to, but, you know, I I agree. They, They also have the experience that perhaps Fulham and West Brom don't have but I think those three are sort of, you know, bar yeah. a miraculous upturn of fortunes, they're sort of cut adrift at the moment for the rest oh. of the league. So Yeah, we saw good results for, I mean, Brighton beat Spurs, didn't they? Which I'm sure you reveled in. We'll talk about that shortly. And um, Burnley as well had a had a good old week. So I think it's, those three have got a huge job in the hands, on the hands. Um, I just hope for entertainment's sake, given that I've got a feeling that the title race is kind of already over, that the... Uh, the relegation battle can get a little bit more spiced up. Um, right, we'll turn now to a game that um, we were both invested in, uh, perhaps too much. Um, it was Arsenal nil, Manchester United nil. Um, in my opinion, personally, um, I don't think either side did anywhere enough to, to to have a decisive claim that they should have won. 
Uh, I mean, Cavani came closest. He had a couple of good chances, but I think a nil-nil draw, to be quite honest, was the only fair result. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, I think a draw was probably the fair result. The way that I... I mean, I was quite invested with the game. I'm, in the game, I was watching, of course, with my two Manchester United flatmates. So, I don't know. I think either team, you know, I think Cavani's chances were actually ones you expect him to put away. And I think Arsenal had some good openings too. I think, you know, another day, either team could have won. But I think a draw was probably a fair result. Um as the game went on, it did seem to become clear that it was going to be a nil-nil. And I don't think any team either side can really complain about that. I think, you know, United have uh, have been a team that Arsenal fared reasonably well against over the past couple of years. And you haven't been great against, you know, the so-called big six this year. I don't think you've scored a goal from open no, play. Well, these were two points I wanted to raise, actually, just jumping in here. Um, so Arsenal are now unbeaten in the last six against United. Um, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if that is that maybe testament to the fact that United are poor against the big six, or do you just think that Arsenal are just kind of experts in playing against United? I mean, that might be a bit of a difficult question to answer, but it's... Uh... Yeah, well, I think, to be honest, last year, I think United were quite good at uh, against the, the bigger sides. But I think Arsenal have, since, you know, for so long, we, we struggled so badly against United and then there are a few results I think sort of late Wenger years where we got I think a 3-0 win and a couple of 2-0 wins and since then we've just always found a way to you know at home I, I always fancy our chances away from home it always seems like we're going to Old Trafford with the you know we know we're capable of getting a result so I think it's just you know the the uh, the dynamic shifted somewhat and Arsenal now feel like they can match United and, and in a sort of uh, competitive um, way. Well, you alluded to it just a minute ago, um, just kind of more generally united against the, the big six. And this, I did think, was fascinating. Um, I mean, obviously, I, re- I, I remembered that um, we drawn nil-nil, obviously, against Liverpool and City in recent weeks and Chelsea earlier on in the season. Uh, but against the so-called big, big six teams now so far this season, um, United have had four nil-nils and a 6-1 defeat against Tottenham. Um, so, I mean, they may be second in the league, but they are by no means one of the most entertaining watches. I mm. think that's probably the, the main takeaway from that. It's interesting as well, because I think those games really do rely on, I mean, clearly United have stayed in those games by keeping it tight. And it is perhaps indicative of, you know, the quality of that United team is very much or if they go behind, how they can respond. And that's what they've done in, in a lot of the smaller games this year. Whereas in the bigger games, there's there's it's, it's less open. And so if United sort of sit back a bit more, then the reality is they're going to keep it tight, not really go for it as well as they might look sort of playing decent enough football. But yeah, it's, it is a, it's a strange one for United. And I do think, you know, that's, that's something that, for sure, you want to improve on sort of as you as you face all these teams again in the second half of the season. If you if you're, you know, sort of um, at where your league position would suggest you you, you deserve to be. I mean, I've got to say, for I, I just think it's in this is this is regardless of being a United fan or not. I think in terms of just for the sake of the league as entertainment, I think it's ludicrous, quite frankly, that United turn up to all these games playing for what appears to be a nil nil. I mean, they're, they're in this title race, perhaps down to the fact that other teams have been not at their best. 
Um, I mean, United aren't a brilliant team themselves. If they have any aspirations to win the league, I feel like you've got to go out and attack games against Liverpool and City. Mm. Um, I think because they're the opportunities, you know, they're kind of like one of those six pointers, aren't they? Um, like over the course of the season, I think United are more likely to drop points against, well, the likes of Sheffield United and teams like that. I think the way they can really give themselves a fighting chance is by going out and attacking and beating these big teams. Mm. Um, and I just think it's an incredibly wasted opportunity every time they do come up against an Arsenal or Liverpool or Spurs or whoever and play for a nil-nil, to be honest. Do you, do you think then, then that, that United play for a nil-nil? Because I, I mean, I don't get the impression. I mean, yeah, in some games probably you do, but I didn't get the impression on Saturday that you you sort of came to play for a nil-nil. I thought you I, were relatively front-footed and, and ordinarily you'd expect Cavani to put those chances away. It's just maybe a lack well, of quality on the day. I think in a isolated just like looking at one 90 minute match like the Arsenal game then you know that's a fair comment but that's four nil nils we've had now against yeah, Liverpool yeah. City Chelsea and Arsenal mm. um, so I mean on the one hand we've not conceded but I do think that's very much at the expense of you know going up at the going up the other end and scoring um I maybe playing for nil nils not the right phrase but, no, but it's, it's true it, because yeah. so much of United's quality and and sort of how they've um sort of built this idea that they're a good team is, is based upon their attacking threat and the, you know, the, the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Rashford, Martial, Greenwood, Cavani, all of them, all of those guys. And when it matters most, i.e. in the bigger contests, you know, the, the, the proofs in the pudding full nil-nil draws, which suggests that your sort of identity or your strengths as a team are perhaps not as sort of wholly convincing as they might appear. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I just think, um, yeah, I think it's that's kind of a sign of where United are as a team. I think that's far more representative than the fact that they're second in the table. I think more representative is the fact that they still haven't uh, haven't beaten a, a big six team in in the last twelve months now. It's over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just as a final final point on this, so we'll move quickly back onto Arsenal. But I think that's maybe a slightly you know, unfair unfair start given they beat Leicester on the final day of the season it was what was essentially a Champions League playoff and mm. Leicester are better than the likes of frankly the likes of Arsenal and probably Spurs last 12 months um, mm. but even so I still, I still think that's um, that's far more representative of where United are as a club at the moment rather than the league mm. position um, so now just throwing it back to Arsenal um, so obviously we spoke last week about new signings coming in um, Matt Ryan obviously being the big one um, uh, Martin Odegaard um, came on, made a, a huge impression. So he didn't make a huge impression on the game. Didn't have the time to come off the bench. But it must be a positive now. You've got a, you've got Özil out. You've got a proper playmaking replacement for him. Um, that must be must fill you with positivity now going into second half of the season. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's exciting, and I think we're we're definitely going to benefit from Odegaard's presence albeit initially if, if it's sort of slowly easing him in and, you know, giving him more and more minutes. I think he's likely to rotate with um, Emil Smith-Rowe because obviously he can't play every game. You know, the likes of, you know, we were at, without Bukayo Saka on Saturday, arguably our most consistent performer this season, offensively, definitely. And then, you know, Aubameyang's just coming back from his personal issues and, you know, without Tierney as well. So I think to have someone of that quality, Odegaard, who... who does you know he's defined by his creative uh, talents will definitely bode well for the second half of the season. Hopefully it works because it, it you know it 
it, it's it's only a good thing for the player and the club and Real Madrid, I guess, if it works. So yeah, it is exciting. I had talked. I mean, the, last week I wasn't under this impression, but I've since read about it. Is there a chance of it being a permanent deal? Um, I wasn't aware of that at first. No, I, I'm not. From what from what I know, it's it's a simple six month loan. I mean, there's a 2.5 million loan fee, uh, you know, wages, and then assess at the end. There's no option. Or, or obligation to buy but I'm sure you know if he does well then that will quickly change and there'll be conversations to be had but I think for now because the player just needs to play Arsenal are in need and I think there's already good communications between the clubs because obviously we've got Danny Ceballos on loan um, so who, who knows but yeah it's, it's it's there for him the move's there for him if he plays well basically because we need a player in that position on a permanent basis all right, we'll have a quick break now and then we'll come back. We'll talk about Spurs, who had a particularly tricky week last week. I will also have a quick check and see if there's been anything happening in the transfer market that we can maybe just kind of spontaneously reflect on.
his chambers They gathered for the feast They stab it with their stealing eyes But they just can't kill the beast Again, um, so just quick chat about the transfer market because um, there have been a couple of a couple of talking points. Nothing, nothing massive. Um, one thing I did want to talk about was Liverpool's uh, quest for centre backs, which has uh, taken them to Schalke to try and sign Erzan uh, Kabak. He's a centre back who's been responsible or overseen one victory in more than half of a season. In fact, Schalke have won one match for. Over a cal- in over a calendar year now, um, right. so I'm not sure he'd inspire me with confidence as a manager or as a goalkeeper or just mm. as a Liverpool fan at all. To be quite honest, um, is that sensible? Is well, obviously the, the search for centre back sensible, but can they really be that desperate as you know the Premier League champions that they've got to go to a club like that for centre back? I think to be fair to Liverpool, they've shown themselves in the past, however desperate they are they won't be forced into a move that they don't want to make. And I'm sure there are plenty of centre-backs out there that they could splash the cash on, even if it's not available. And I think now more than ever, they sort of are 
very much aware of, of the financial constraints of COVID. I think Liverpool are definitely one of the clubs who have been affected most by it in terms of their, you know, broadcast and sponsorship, how much they rely on those incomes. They, I mean, this this guy from Schalke, Kabak, I do know that he's, you know, that he's been on their sort of lists of, of centre-back options for a while. I don't think, or clearly has not been playing in a very good Schalke team and whether that's his fault or not. He's, he's definitely been of interest to them for a while. And I think seeing the move, you know, that again, Liverpool sort of, even if it's not the answer, this is a player that they've scouted for a while. It's a loan move, paying a loan fee, but minimal sort of, you know, a million and a half, 1.5 million pounds, no obligation to buy at the end. And if they want to, there's an option for, I think it's 18 million pounds. So for a promising young centre-back, it doesn't seem like it's it's the it's the... Uh, stupidest decision in the world and they need they need someone back there and if they've identified him through their scouting network which you know looks as if it's <laughs> it's it's been pretty reliable over the last few years well it's fair like, I mean I was when I was looking I was more under the impression that it was going to be a permanent one I mean it's not entirely now you said that that sounds but I was going to say a loan move would sound far more realistic I mean it was the Preston one that seemed ridiculous to me two million pound for um I've forgotten his name now um, but £2 million to pluck a centre-back out of the Championship. Who, whoever they sign, whether it's permanent or a loan deal, as soon as Van Dijk becomes fully fit again and Gomez, then they're not going to play again for the rest of the season. Um, yeah. I, think, so- I, th- I think with Liverpool, you know, they, they do this quite well. They sign these sorts of players, you know, I think joining in an environment that Klopp has if they're, you know, they're signing this guy from the Championship £2 million, I'm pretty sure he was he was destined to join Celtic when his contract expired at the end of this season. So, you know, he, he must be all right. I don't think he's anything special, but you know, if he's a youngish centre-back for two million pounds, I guess there's not too much risk involved in that. And if he sort of absorbs a lot of Klopp's, um, you know, methods and, and stuff, if it, if it's a short-term solution, fine. And if it doesn't work out long term, then they they'll probably be able to sell him for about you know ten times the money that they spent on him or something like that. But yeah, it is strange to see Liverpool sort of floundering around at the last minute to try and solve an issue that we've all known for a while. You know they need short term cover there. I think probably I think Matip's recurrent injury problems and then Fabinho's recently probably forced their hand a bit because they were pretty reluctant to do anything. So it seems. Right, there's just one more um, thing kind of in the transfer window that I just wanted to talk about because, as we said, January transfer window deadline day. It's not, it's not the most exciting of days, really. Um, but there were reports earlier that Diego Costa had been offered a contract. Obviously, his contract has expired recently. Um, so he's without a club. He's been not, he was offered a six-month contract to the end of the season by an unnamed Premier League club and he turned it down on the grounds that he wanted at least an 18-month, maybe two-and-a-half-year contract. Um, but I was kind of speculating because I do love speculators as football fans. Which top six club would have offered Diego Costa a six month contract at the end of the season? Well, I saw I saw Michael Richards talking about this on on BBC on the BBC the other day, and he was he put forward. I mean, in his clearly, he felt it was a convincing argument. I I could see maybe where he was coming from, but I never thought it would happen. But he was saying that Man City should sign him for the rest of the season, um, and he'd win them the league, no doubt about it. Um, whether, I mean, Chelsea obviously wouldn't go anywhere near him after what happened. I don't see Arsenal doing that. I mean, the top six club, I mean, currently, I suppose, in the in the Premier League standings, 
I just don't know who would offer who that would be. I mean, Leicester. I mean, that's kind of the conclusion I was going to. Maybe it was kind of some because obviously Vardy's out injured. Maybe some kind of audacious, yeah. ridiculous left field move for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't really see it. I mean, I don't see it happening. I mean, I could see him go to like a you know back to. He never went. Did he go to China for a period? I think he did for a very short while. Yeah. Well, he was going to, or, or you know, but I could see him making a lucrative move elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, he's only thirty-two, so I mean, clearly he's, he he should have something to offer. Still, it just depends whether you're willing to take on probably pretty hefty wages, his temperament, and you know all all that comes with him. But you could get a, a you know a goal scorer who, to be fair, his record since going back to Atletico has been pretty diabolical. Um, I think he struggled with injuries and form and all sorts. But yeah, interesting that that comes out of, I guess, deadline day. <laughs> Why wouldn't it come up? Would you uh, would you take him at Arsenal? Uh, no, I would not. I mean, it, it would be, it would fit sort of what who like, sorts of. I mean, you know, the likes of David Luiz and Willian, ex Chelsea boys, sort of thirty two, <laughs> hand them out three year contracts, two hundred grand a week. But no, I would not take him at Arsenal. Um, that's not the sort of player, the type of character that that I want sort of <laughs> at this yeah. point in time. I would agree. I think his his temperament must be a huge turnoff for ninety nine point nine percent of clubs, particularly you know, is it the wages that he's demanding and the reputation that he supposedly has when he's not even been playing particularly well? It just yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the he doesn't have the you know, he obviously does have the pedigree over the last 10 years, but over the last three, two, three years, he's, you know, um, Atletico Madrid paid more than, I think, £50 million to bring him back um, from Chelsea. And that's been a, you know, a resounding failure. He's not lived up to those sort of that price tag at all. Um, but yeah, I guess transfer deadline day. I mean, Arsenal are sort of doing quite a good job of getting, that you know, shifting quite a lot of players um, albeit paying them to leave because they don't want them on the books anymore. But Mustafi apparently is going to Schalke to replace Kabak, um, which is, I think, a good thing. I mean, I saw just jumping in on that, they were there was talk they were going to cut out the middleman and leave Kabak out of it, and Mustafi would just go straight to Liverpool. Well, he, he was <laughs> under consideration apparently. But was, uh, yeah, I saw Arsenal offered Liverpool offered Mustafi to Liverpool in some kind of pro. I can only imagine some kind of sabotage or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and like Maitland Niles looks like he's going to West Brom on loan. Joe Willock looks like he's going to Newcastle. So there's a bit of movement, but obviously Arsenal fringe players. But that's that's more uh, for, for my interest than anyone else's. All right, I would I would see just on Maitland Niles. We, we don't have to talk to it, talk about it too much. Um, it seems like a very obscure thing to talking about Maitland Niles joining clubs on loan on transfer deadline day. Um, <laughs> But out of the clubs interested in of Leicester, Southampton and West Brom, I just could not fathom why you would end up going to West Brom. Um, but I mean, that's a question, probably not for another day, because I'll probably never mention it again. But that's a question that I couldn't really get my head around. Why why West Brom over Leicester or Southampton? But yeah, maybe that's more in Arsenal's interest, so we can't potentially help a rival. In short, yeah, Leicester, they were, they were less convinced about that because they see Leicester as competitors for you know in the upper positions for the league Southampton I think they grew frustrated with his agent and so withdrew their interests and then West Brom I think is the only so (laughs) all right we'll uh, leave the uh, fascinating subject of Ainsley Maitland Niles deciding which clubs to join on loan and we'll move to uh, 
Back to last week's Premier League action, we'll have a little chat about Tottenham. Uh, suffered a 1-0 away defeat against Brighton. Uh, Graham Potter masterclass, I think, is the way most people have been describing that. Um, and obviously fell to defeat against Liverpool at the weekend, which is perhaps far more unsurprising. Um, not only was it a week in which they got zero points, it was also a week in which the you know their capabilities as a footballing side without Harry Kane were <laughs> once again exposed. Um, we don't like, well, I don't want to call Spurs a one-man team um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth either. Um, but I mean, it does kind of raise the, raise the question again of how they are so toothless without him. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in, in times gone by, uh, Son stepped up brilliantly and, and actually played better without with, with no game when he's the focal point of attack. But I think this season we've seen how well they work in, you know, together. They, that's the thing with Jose Mourinho. I think he is a great coach when he can rely on, you know, that sort of quality up front. But without it, it's like, well, what else is your team? It's sort of very well disciplined, but actually not got much else going for it. So it was really enjoyable to see Brighton comprehensively outplay Spurs and Spurs basically offer nothing. Um, and this happens every year. It's Kane or Son, you know, they have a, a sort of, spell on the sidelines each year and then their season derails and then it comes back and you know we're now we if we win against Wolves uh on Tuesday we go above Spurs and we were meant to be getting relegated and Spurs were meant to be winning the yeah. league I mean, <laughs> I mean in terms of just kind of I mean we, I was going to bring up Leeds and kind of how the table's looking for them somehow uh which I just thought was quite interesting but just keeping on Tottenham and Arsenal at the moment we'll touch on that shortly um Spurs have got a game in hand that if they win could send them above above West Ham to fifth. West Ham currently the highest place London club. Get your head around that one. Um, but I do feel in this, on this occasion, as you said just then, obviously in previous seasons, Son has steps up when Kane gets his you know traditional injury during the season. Um, but I do feel on this occasion, it's not just losing Kane. I think you're also losing Son at his best as well. Because I think we have seen this season how just how well they link up. And even when Son has shown that he can lead a team. I still think that, you know, this season has resoundingly proved that he is at his best with Harry Kane. So mm-hmm. I think when one of them's missing, you're also losing the other one performing at the best as well. So it's kind of like a two-in-one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And great. You know, no worries. No issues with that at all. The power 
of a dream that cannot be in this harsh reality. Mass confusion, spoon fed to the blind, serves now to define a cold society from which we'll
All right, at this point, just to uh, get in a quick non-footballing item on the agenda. Uh, last week, I uh, gave a little couple of minutes um, advertising, do a bit of free advertising for PDC. Uh, the Darts Masters took place over this weekend, so I just thought, having started last week talking about it, I would finish. Um, it was won by Welshman Johnny Clayton, won his first ever televised event, beating Mervyn King in the final, who was also competing to win his first televised event. Uh, and with victory for Clayton, it also got him for his, the first ever time in his career, got him a place in the prestigious Darts Premier League, where he'll be competing alongside world champions like Rob Cross, Michael Van Gerwen, uh, world champion Gerwin Price. Um, it's worth saying as well that en route to the, to the final and his eventual victory, he broke the, the record for uh, highest checkouts of 91% on the doubles, uh, which is, as I say, a new record in the PDC. And he also beat two world champions, including Michael Van Gerwen, a 2020 world champion and previous Masters winner, uh, Peter Wright. Um, so that's one there for the, I'm sure, all of the several thousands of darts enthusiasts listening. Um, <laughs> but just, just finishing something I started last week, just thought I'd give a brief little roundup of that. Um, so returning to the Premier League, um, there was just a, a couple more fixtures from last weekend that I thought we'd just briefly touch on. Yeah. Um, the first one was what we saw yesterday, was uh, Leicester 1, Leeds 3. Um, it was Harvey Barnes scoring first this time rather than equalising. Um, and then Leeds broke back very quickly and went on to win the game quite comfortably. Patrick Bamford wants to get in with a star, but he's up to 12 goals for the season now. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a, got a grab an assist as well. Um, so there's not a huge amount to say on this one other than what I alluded to um, not so long ago. Uh, when I was looking at the table and given kind of how mediocre and kind of nailed on for mid-table leads have been. They've now got nine wins and nine draws. Uh, nine wins, nine defeats, and I think well, two draws or something. Um, but a win in their game of hand would put them just three points off a European place, which I just think kind of sums up the madness of this season, that a team can be so so just like so nailed on for mid-table, but a couple of good results, and then you straight up there, straight up there at the sharp end again. Well, exactly. And I think, I'm not even to bring it back to Arsenal, but you know we saw that we were 17th couple of weeks ago a month ago and and now we're within touching distance yeah awesome. you know you put a good run of fixtures together everyone's so inconsistent and losing games and it just does happen so the likes of Leeds who haven't been on the best run but you know everyone's sort of writing them off before this weekend and and Leicester have been pretty good recently and Leeds just you know reminded us of, of the strength they have on the counter-attack and you know their sort of in high intensity game um so yeah you know I think everyone likes Leeds and and May may their sort of exciting sort of underdog um, role that they've uh, undertaken this year continue because it's, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, I think it does kind of fit in with kind of the, the Bielsa mania narrative that's been going on. I think just crawling to a 15th or 16th place finish wouldn't really necessarily justify the hype. Uh, but I think, you know, getting a good run together like this, um, you know, they're kind of providing providing a bit of style and substance at the moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, got the results and potentially even the, the league league position to back that up. Uh, There's not a huge amount more to say about that game, really. I just thought it was, given how Leeds just been kind of written off to just tick over in, you know, 14, 15, really, at the end of the season, to see them suddenly where they are was perhaps a bit of a surprise. Um, one more game uh, to talk about from the weekend was uh, Manchester City uh, beating Sheffield United. I mean, beating Sheffield United clearly isn't for everyone. Um, and City managed to grind out a, a 1-0 victory. Uh, I mean, you're not going to win every game by by four or five, in fairness. Um, 
but I do, I feel personally just kind of in the gut of my gut of my stomach, uh, not the gut, the pit of my stomach. Uh, kind of got the feeling that you know, City are three points clear, they've got a game in hand, um, they've got the breathing space that everyone was maybe fearing, and I just kind of feel like that that's a title race over now, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I think, yeah, I've been feeling it for a couple of weeks now. City have been building up momentum and winning games, haven't conceded a goal for God knows how long. They're looking pretty pretty imperious and and don't write Liverpool off, but I still, I think City are going to finish first, Liverpool will finish second, and that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you on that. Um, I mean, it is worth... Uh, remind ourselves at this point that nine different teams have been top of the league at the end of a match day this season and that does include uh, yours truly's Arsenal who were top after the opening day of fixtures I believe all the way back in at the end of August start of September but I kind of feel that's the, that's the fun over now we're not going to see Aston Villa suddenly come and go top or something like that um, I just I don't I'm not sure it'll be necessarily a long coronation from here on in like I'm not sure it's an absolute given, given kind mm. of the unpredictability that I've touched on just there. Absolutely. Um, but I just think when you look at it, realistically, City are the least likely to drop stupid points. Mm. Um, I mean, it kind of sums it up. United go and lose against Sheffield United and City go and grind out, to all intents and purposes, quite a quite a tough, hard-fought victory. Yeah, exactly. I just think it says, says it all, really. Yeah, I um, So we'll just move on, I think, to the upcoming... We've got a set of midweek fixtures which we neglected to talk about last week. Uh, but I think we'll talk about them because there are, there are a couple of uh, interesting ties. Um, firstly, um, talk about Wolves against Arsenal. Um, Wolves, perhaps not the, not the trickiest fixture compared to how they were last season. Um, but they're always a good test, particularly against a side like, like yours, who are getting a bit of a run together, trying to climb back up the league. It's mm. definitely a good staging post to see where you are. Yeah, and, and ordinarily I'd feel pretty pretty uh, downbeat or unenthusiastic about travelling to Wolves. But I think last season we we won there 2-0 and we played really well. I know they beat us at the Emirates this year and and showed reminded everyone how dangerous they are sort of on the counter-attack, even without Raul Jimenez. Um, but I think they'll be up for it. But I don't, I've, I'm, I'm feeling relatively confident. And like you say, I think having drawn against United a win again would, would be really, really crucial. Like the, you know, when we drew nil nil to Crystal Palace and then, and then went on to beat Newcastle sort of a win, a draw followed by a win makes it, makes it sort of a lot more manageable. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling pretty, pretty confident and, and hopeful about this one, um, which is nice. <laughs> well, um, I think United and Arsenal have kind of landed themselves similar fixtures in ones that, you know, ordinarily, I don't, they're just generally proper banana skin fixtures. I mean, United are up at home against Southampton. Mm. Um, Southampton aren't quite hitting the heights they were earlier in the season, but then again, neither are, neither are United. They got one point for the last two games. Um, Southampton, as as we know, obviously spoken about, are no gimme. Um, I, I just I feel like it is one of those games that can kind of define the rest of the season will kind of give a sense of what's to come over the next few months, whether there's going to be some kind of lingering optimism or whether, you know, a draw or, you know, even a defeat potentially just will spell another few months of just making sure we don't slip too far down the table. I think for you, especially given that the last home game you played, you obviously lost to Sheffield United, you're now drawn to Arsenal. So to go three without a win 
would be pretty detrimental to you know the momentum that you built up over the last few months so I'd, I, I I personally you know we beat Southampton a couple of weeks ago but they're not in good form and I expect them to respond at some point so again could be wrong and maybe it's a great opportunity to for you to sort of put put um you know write this course um put it back on track but I wouldn't want to be playing Southampton um given what they've been doing over the last few weeks and also how you've been doing um I think that is like you say a, a tough fixture I'm not sure what the condition with Danny what what the condition is with uh, Danny Ings's fitness he's missed a, a couple hasn't he now um I'm not sure whether he's back yet but that could be yet another weapon in Southampton's armory to cause yeah, a I'm pretty sure he's he's back fit and fighting so you'll have that to contend with. It was also, in fairness, this was a fixture that really, you know, sat people, you know, people took notice of United earlier in the season when they were 2-0 down against Southampton, who at the time were high-flying in the league mm. and came back with was two goals from Cavani, wasn't it, to turn it round. Um, so, you know, it's not out of the question to, to see something similar. I was perhaps, of all the comebacks made this season, was perhaps the most heroic. Um, so we'll see whether they can kind of draw on that again. Um, one one final fixture is the small matter of Spurs against Chelsea. Mm. I mean, it's not just United who've been drawing nil nil in in the big six fixtures this season. It's already the second highest number of nil nil draws between big six teams in Premier League history, uh, with five. I mean, four of them were from Man United. Um, but you know, it's kind of they've not been the most thrilling of games, really. Um, mm. so I'm not sure what to expect from this. Necessarily, but I think you know maybe Thomas Tuchel coming in got his first win under his belt. That's perhaps a slightly unknown quantity. Um, I'm, it's not. It wasn't really a question I had planned to ask you, so I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot slightly. But you, what sort do you think he'll go? Wants to go and make a, a real impression, real statement against Spurs, or do you think it's just a case of not losing too many big games too soon? It's an interesting question. I think I think he'll definitely knowing the sort of or hearing about the type of guy that he is and having got his first win under his belt, I think it'll be desperate not to lose the momentum. So there will be a bit of caution, but I, I, I don't see, I don't see Chelsea struggling too much in this game just because, you know, Harry Kane's probably still out and they've just lost two games in a row. Mm. And yeah, I, I do think that ugh, it's difficult because I don't think Chelsea will go for it, but I think they'll probably start, a win will will having having won against Burnley that will probably help them, um, you know, build some momentum and carry it through to the Spurs game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I probably want to draw to be honest. I mean, I, it would be funny for Spurs to lose, but I don't really want Chelsea building momentum because, you know, it would be a classic sort of case of the new manager bounce and and nah, just don't really fancy that. You do wonder. Well, I was going to say fear for Spurs, but I'm sure you're not at all fearful for Spurs. Um, but you know, a, a draw or again maybe even a defeat, just putting another dent in you know not not title charge. Let's be realistic. That was several months ago. Um, no, but chasing the top four. I wonder how close it is to you know just counting down the days to the Carabao Cup final, like when they've not really got much else to play for, because that's kind of the way things are slipping. If they get another defeat here, it's. Uh, it only takes another couple of bad results, and then you know they're hanging their entire season on the Carabao Cup final potentially. Um, I think you know Spurs will be in and around the top four. I'm you know I'm sure they they won't. I mean I'd love them to capitulate, but yeah they've got that final. They've got the Europa League still, as the United and Arsenal. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll be fine, but I'm I'm there for the for the ride and hopefully the downfall because that's just what we all love to see. Do you see Mourinho's capitulation coming a season early? <laughs> uh, no, I think they'll give him time, but I, I I fully expect it to go wrong at some point, and you know, I'm just happy that that Mourinho's at Spurs and and that just makes the perfect match because when it when it goes well there's the risk of it being you know terrible for Arsenal fans in particular but when it inevitably goes badly it's a win-win it's you know it's two birds with one stone let them let them drag each other down you know <laughs> so on that quite quite uh <laughs> note of schadenfreude we'll uh we'll leave it there I think for for another week uh we're running out of time slightly and then I'm sure everyone wants a couple of songs in as well when I do the edit um so we'll do that. So uh, thanks again for joining for joining me this week, Alfie. I'm sorry that we couldn't offer up a more exciting Arsenal versus Man United match. Ah, well, look, I, I enjoyed watching it and I enjoyed talking about it. So you know, I think the- my flatmates are quite happy with the nil-nil because they didn't get all you know the shouting and swearing and screaming that usually comes with the United game on telly. Yeah, I think my flatmates, even though it was nil-nil, they still got all of that. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, you can do it all again against Wolves this week. Um, out of the weekend in the weekend round of fixtures which will give us plenty to talk about when we're back next week Um, so thanks for joining me again Alfie and we'll see you all next week bye bye
voice I'll be right beside you, dear 